Hey, what's going on, champs? I'm Erin Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast, my podcast about immigrants and immigration and everything in between. Thank you for listening and downloading the show, and thank you for supporting my dad. New week, new episode. But before that, as always, I'd like to thank you for joining us. I appreciate you spending time with us, whatever you might be doing, commuting to work, actually working, cleaning the house, even listening to fall asleep. Please know that we appreciate you and it's such a privilege for you to allow us to be part of your life. However, if you want more AIL content, you can follow us at An Immigrant's Life on all the social media. Uh, also, according to our data, most of you listen through Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So if you're one of those people, I'd appreciate it if you could give us a five-star rating. It's very easy for Spotify. It's on the main page of the podcast underneath the description. For Apple, you just have to scroll down the main page and you'll see it there. Just click the five-star. I really appreciate your support as it allows the podcast to reach more audiences. That's the biz. Now let's talk about this episode. It's an absolute honor to have this distinguished guest on the podcast. We talk about his life, Filipino culture, and even NFTs, which I don't know nothing about. So this is a very interesting episode, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. So without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today's guest is an artist, an entrepreneur, and a futurist. The preeminent authority and propagator of teaching by buy-in. Everyone, please welcome Christian Kabuai. Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me. And uh, I, I'm still getting used to um, doing podcasts now. Um, I, I've I've started my own on and off, but um, I, I think this is the way uh, things are now. You know, post. Uh, I guess we're still in COVID, but you know this this new future. So thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome, and thank you for coming on. I really do appreciate it. And if you have anything to promote, please go ahead, my man. Yeah, um, just you could uh, if you Google me, you'll find all my socials, Christian Kabuai. Um, and probably the latest thing that I'm working on is uh, my my artwork. So if you uh, find me on social media, you'll see what I'm doing around art, just uh, not just uh, visual art, but um, also uh, music and multimedia. Um, I, yeah, man, you're like all over the place. I love it. Yeah, it, I, I think that's where I brought that um, that immigrant mentality, even though, you know, like many of us, we've been here for a long time, but we just don't let go, right? <laughs> you know, maybe it's from... Maybe it's from my Lola of chasing, you know, that that American dream, but then we find out that for some of us it's a nightmare or the or the what's that the 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 milk is is sour and then the honey isn't so sweet. So <laughs> we have to somehow keep figuring things out. I like I I don't know, but I have spoken to a lot of American immigrants. And most of you guys are just like very, I don't know, like not negative, but pessimistic about it, I guess. Yeah, I think I think it's it's probably because the I mean, the the demographic that you're talking about, if because usually the people that are positive won't say they're immigrants, they'll say, oh, I'm American, you know, <laughs> even if they just came here last week and, you know, um, they still smell they have the smell of Manila, you know, <laughs> the, the Balik Bayan box, you know. Mm. Um, and I think that maybe for the ones that are, um, I don't know, th- this might sound condescending or whatever, but the ones that are more aware of um, of, of America, right? You know, America's um, uh, past mm. and even present uh, we're, we're still trying to figure that out, right? And and sometimes it doesn't doesn't happen until you're in your 30s, and you know you have that pessimism because you've seen this story played out in the Philippines or in your own country, and then now you're seeing 
it in America. Like, oh, okay, this is how colonialism works <laughs> from the office place, right? Oh, okay, I can see. Okay, that guy is like Magellan, you mm-hmm. know? And then you say, okay, the, this guy is like Homabon, you know, the one that's kissing ass to Magellan and things like that. So um, it, it, it takes a lot of, uh, I guess, uh, introspection, if that's the right word, mm. um, and and being real and honest. So I think that might be, um, you know, that might be why, but I, I agree. And I try to be, I guess, more uh, positive I am, but sometimes the negative stuff or what people think is negative, it's it's fun to talk about. And it's funny too. Yeah, of course. I mean, you need to balance, right? Like the yin and the yang, you need some negativity and you need some positivity as well. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, some people are like, oh, only positive vibes. You cannot have positive vibes all the time. Like it doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's fake. <laughs> You know what I mean? I want to get into more opinions about life and everything, but let's talk about your hero's journey. I read you were born in the Philippines, but which part of the Philippines were you born? Yeah, I was born in uh, Manduluyong. For those that don't know, Manduluyong is um, uh, within Metro Manila. Um, I would say if you know where Mega Mall is, that's where I was born. The hospital is not there anymore. The one in the back? <laughs> <Right> there, yes. <laughs> I know. I, I recognize those two towers. Okay, so for those, okay. sorry, we're... We're um we're talking on video here, but there are two towers with lights, and those are two abandoned buildings. I remember that were built in the '90s, and I don't know if it's still I don't know if it's still abandoned or not. But last time I was home in 2018, I think mm. I, I think it be I don't know it was half full or something like that. But yes, Manduluyong. Um, but uh, I grew up in uh, the Pasig area, and Pasig is. Just another city um, within Metro Manila. Mm-hmm. When did you move to America? Um, well, I moved to America back and forth many times. So um, <laughs> the usual um, during when I was a kid, uh, like maybe a baby. Mm-hmm. And then when um, I was maybe about two, three years old, then I went back to the Philippines and I went to uh, a preschool and kindergarten there. And then went back to the U.S. for, uh, I guess, my adolescence. And then after high school, I went back to the Philippines to, you know, find myself and all of that. <laughs> but I ended up staying for 10 years. Okay, okay. And then I'm back here. And then mm. I'm planning then to go. I, ultimately, the goal would be to be to go back and forth. That's the goal. Isn't that like everyone's goal? Yes, it is. That's the American dream. The American dream is to leave America whenever you want. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Collect all the money, go back home, spend it there, go back again to get more. Yeah, and, and that's what racists will really get mad at. I remember someone was saying, go back to your country. I said, I, I am going to, but first I'm going to take all your money. <laughs> they don't like Makes that. Makes sense. Uh, yeah, of course. They're like, oh, you're, you're taking our old resources and you bring it back to your country. Yeah, and and that's what um, I've been uh, working with a lot of. Um, I meet a lot of actually Filipino Americans that have done that. Um, there, there's a saying that uh, Team Manila is one of the the great um, uh, T-shirt companies and graphic design companies in the Philippines. And I remember they put out a shirt. You know, remember when it's back in the day, maybe the '80s, '90s, maybe even to this day, where if it's just made in the Philippines. Like I remember going to Old Navy or, you know, and then like my tita will look at this shirt. Oh, it's made in the Philippines. I won't buy that. <laughs> right. Yep. You know, because it's like they're going to send it back to the Philippines. So it becomes this odd circle of life of clothing and Americanism. But they put out a saying that instead of made in the Philippines, they said make it in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. So... It, it, you can take it many different ways, but um, I've met many um, uh, uh, philams that have actually left their nice, cozy, you know, six-figure jobs in the U.S. to go to the Philippines to start something. And that's something that um, I've always wanted to do um, mm-hmm. as a as an adult now with, um, you know, more skills and, and privilege. So that's one of the plans. Yeah, that's everybody's plan. Of course, me too, obviously, right? Yep. Like everyone wants to retire there, you know. Whenever yeah. that date or age you want to retire, you do that. I mean, yeah. you know that saying that 
it's more fun in the Philippines. It is. <laughs> it's actually more fun. Yeah, it is. If you have resources. <laughs> exactly. If you have yeah. the money. Like, yeah. if you have the money, it is fun. But but then again, you know, you'll see, I'm sure you see Facebook posts of your relatives and you're like, I don't know about you, but my family, we, we, we didn't come from money, right? And they'll mm-hmm. post like, they barely, they have one San Miguel beer, like one six pack and they're so happy. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that that's one thing I remember. Um, I always put things into perspective. Like, you know, you see the kids playing in the street, you know, even when they have no chinelas and, you know, but, but they're so happy. And, you know, then here you're complaining, oh, my TV is too small. It's only 45 <laughs> inches and, you know, things like that. Um, but I, 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 I think that has to be kind of dissected in, in a way. I mean, because maybe you don't know what you don't know, I think. Um, mm. But I guess happiness is different, right, for, mm. for everybody. Like, you know, because there is literally day by day, you mm. know. So here we have the privilege to think about our future or 401ks and things like that. But back home, the majority of people are just happy just to, you know, get that um, whether it's food or small salary just for that day. Yeah, I know. Like you see like people working till they're old and then they have their kids and then now it's a kid's turn to take care of them. And me, I'm yeah. like, sometimes I think about it. Like, what if your kids doesn't take care of you? Yeah. Yeah. That's what they say, you know, in America, oh, they'll put you in an old home and, and things like that. And yeah, I, I've seen it. And you know, as we get older and, you know, we see our family getting older, it does put us in that dilemma where um, culturally, yeah, you know, you should, you know, it's just the right thing to do. Don't, you know, but then how, how, how do we make it work? I think that's, you know, in, in America, because especially if you're married to a non-Filipino or a more Americanized, they'll say, oh, you're, you know, you're already 45 years old. Why are you going to take care of, you know, your parents, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, know, you see that conflict. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So growing up in America, did you feel American? Um, yeah, I, I, I did. I mean, because I, I, I was very, I was very Amer- in in the eighties. It was yeah, you know, the, like the golden age of America, or one of the more recent golden ages of America in capitalism. Ronald Reagan with Madonna and you know all that football, and so I grew up you know with that all that stuff, hip hop and. Um, I did feel American um, until I remember one specific case. I was in elementary school, and you know, one of the one of the the students asked me like, "Oh, what are you?" And then I I didn't experience that before, and I said, "Oh, I'm American." And he goes, "No, you're not." And I said, "Okay, well, that confused me." I said, "What? Wait, I speak English. I live in America, and all of that stuff." So then I went home. And I asked my mom and I asked her, said, oh, this kid at school said, um, I'm not American. And she goes, oh, you're, you're not, you're Filipino. And because I think at that time I wasn't a citizen or something like that, but I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So I went back the next day to school and then um, I told that kid that, oh, I'm Filipino. And then he said, what's that? <laughs> so that's, that. that's my introduction of identity in um in elementary school. And I think, um, a, a lot, you know, I, I don't know what at the time, what, uh, uh, hurt more was that not being American or someone saying, what's that? Right. <laughs> so now so, since you're older and have you, you've thought about it, which one hurts more? Um, now I think that if I would, I mean, kids now they're so conscious of identity and things like that. Hmm. Um, I think, if I if that happened to me now, it probably would have been like more like what's Filipino, hmm, you know? yeah. And I would say like, oh well, didn't you watch Teresa or you know, didn't you watch Raya or you know, yeah. I, w- I would try to make the connection with Jokoi or something like that, you know, yeah. and say like, are are you stupid? You don't know who what that is, you know? Because do now you still we get Google. that question though? Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Um, not not like what is Filipino or whatever, but you know, they'll always related to lumpia or or yeah. mani pakiao yeah, or jolly like or adobo which is like it drives me nuts 
Because like, yeah. if you say adobo, which I appreciate that you kind of know something, but yeah. dig deeper. Yeah, and I get it. You know, that's all they know. But then if you look at on the flip side, if I meet like an American and then they go, oh, where's your family from? And they go, um, I don't know, Kansas City. And like, oh, Kansas City um, barbecue and Kansas City chiefs and yeah. cows. And, you know, yeah. do, you, do you live on a farm? You know, exactly. of course, they're going to probably get offended and think. But if you flip it on, on that side, then it, it just m- highlights some of the, uh, the I guess, quote unquote, innocent ignorance in, in the questioning. Exactly, exactly. So you mentioned that after high school, you went back to the motherland to find yourself. First of all, that's like Filipinos, don't, they don't find themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah. Did your parents like take it fully or was it like, what, what are you talking about? Yeah, they didn't, um, they didn't at first, uh, like it. Um, because, and, and I get it from their perspective, like my Lola, of course, you know, came over and during martial law and brought over the whole family through, <laughs> you know, the petition process, which, you know, could take a decade or longer. Mm. And then now the grandson, the eldest grandson wants to go back. <laughs> so it's like, what are you doing? You know, mm. and plus, you know, they have the sting. I call it the sting of martial law where, mm. you know, you have a generation that doesn't like their home country, you know, because mm. they have this trauma and it's like, oh, it's dirty there. Why do you want to go there? There's poor people, you know, and then it becomes this classist attitude because we're now Americans, you know, why we only go back there if we go to Boracay or vacation, mm-hmm. you know? So I kind of had that um, kind of sentiment. Um, but, but for a while though, my parents actually, um, they moved back with me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, and that was surprising. And you don't hear that stories, you know, people that are you know, much older or from a certain generation, they usually, if they came during the martial law era, they rarely go back until they retire and, you know, in their 65 or 70, but, mm-hmm. you know, in their, in their prime, you know, they, they took that chance, you know, eventually they did move back sooner than I, I stayed mm-hmm. um, because it was, you know, it, it's, it's difficult. I mean, I'm not going to say it's easy. You know, it, it is difficult to make that transition. Um, it's not like, you know, you could, easily get a job right you know um it, it it all depends on you know what your expertise are or in your head they're like wait i'm only gonna, gonna get paid how much in pesos i can make that much in the u.s you yeah. know i'm a manager and you know i'm making more than the ceo and whatever so yeah, yeah. that was kind of how it was do you speak tagalog i do i learned through um eraser heads in river maya <laughs> the greatest Yes. So, you know, I can, I memorize, uh, like, like overdrive and Anghuling El Bimbo and all of that and learn through the taxi drivers and the jeepney drivers and the tricycle drivers, all of that. Oh, that's amazing, man. That's yeah. pretty cool. So you went back and you said you stayed for 10 years, you said? Yeah, about 10 years. What made you stay? Um, I, I was able to do a lot of different things that I wouldn't be able to do here. Um, and you know, I was young and, and I don't, I don't, if, if anybody has ever experienced the Manila nightlife mm-hmm. and being a Balak Bayan, <laughs> I mean, it, the, that, I mean, that could be, I, I'm planning to write a book about those, those years because so there's, I'm sure in maybe, maybe in other, um, uh, other groups where at least when I grew up, there was always a thing where like you're in the U S and if you're bad, like say you join a gang or, you know, you get in trouble or you get bad grades, mm-hmm. you're going to say, Oh, you're being bad. I'll send you to the Philippines. You live with your cousins or your grandparents or whatever. And that was always in my head. Cause I heard that from my friends and whatever, but I'll tell everybody here. I don't know if parents will do that, but I'll tell you that it's a lie that <laughs> it's not bad. You're going to be still, treated well you know in general you know you'll probably you know maybe you'll even get an allowance and you know if you're young Hmm. because the exchange rate is ridiculous so you know (laughs) you could do a lot there with five thousand pesos compared at least when i was there you know now it's expensive but 
I met a lot of people that were sent back to the Philippines because they were bad. Um, they're from like LA, Australia, London, you know, New York, Chicago. But then when they go to the Philippines, they end up being worse. Yeah, I know. Because back in the Philippines, when I was growing up in high school, they send like, you know, kids from America to study in the Philippines. I'll be like, why are you here? I'm like, oh, because we're bad in the US. Like, you're worst here. You're doing drugs and everything. Yeah, exactly. Because now you have money and then you have, they're like, oh, balak bayan. Then they'll get mm. all the girls and mm. then, you know, they'll be, uh, I, I call it uh, balak yab- balik yabang. Mm-hmm. So yabang means to be conceited for those mm. that don't understand. But, you know, all of a sudden there's this prestige where, um, and also because at least then, you know, where you're American and there's this, you get that prestige of being an American and some fully took advantage of that. Um, but <laughs> Get them but girls, I man. Did. I, I don't know if I, I'm sure I did a little, a little, hmm. but it was, it was fun. It was, a you know, I stayed there because um, a lot of new opportunities and um, I, I was able to you know, have a group of friends and um, experience the, the life there. And I, I worked a bunch of odd jobs. Um, mm. I did go to school there. You know, I, I finished college there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just something that I wouldn't be able to experience here. Yeah, for sure. So you went to college there. What did you take and where? Yeah, so um, because I went to, I was just an average student. You know, I barely, you know, passed high school here. And you know, my dad, he went to Ateneo. So I was like, oh, shoot. So for those that don't know, Ateneo is like a, I don't know, like a Harvard, Stanford. I will you know, say, yeah. It's yeah. it's one of the prestigious schools in, in the Philippines. Yeah. And so my dad graduated there and I thought, all right, let me try and go there. But then I I only, you know, went to public school in the U.S. So, <laughs> you know, I, I took a test to one of the one of the rival schools, La Salle. Mm-hmm. La Salle is, you know, La Salle, Ateneo, they're kind of like a Berkeley, Stanford, you know, kind of mm-hmm. thing. But then when I took that test for La Salle, because I took it because I wanted a practice test, right? Mm-hmm. I took it and I said, holy shit, I don't know any of this trigonometry. <laughs> and I said, this shit is hard. And I was looking around. I said, Man, I don't know. That. And me and all the the Philams are looking stupid. We're looking at each other. We're, oh my God, I know this is hard. I mean, they never taught this in our public American high school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I failed that. And I, I went to UP, University of the Philippines, to um, uh, major in, uh, uh, I think it was a commercial art at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I took the talent test where we had to paint and things like that. But my art is a bit more abstract. So the professor said that um, commercial art, you have to be like a, a, a photocopier, you know, to be able to draw things as accurate as the clients and things like that. So he suggested that I uh, major in, um, in fine arts and, mm. you know, focus on painting. And I thought, I don't want to go. Why am I going to go to college to be a painter? I don't know any famous artist that went to college. <laughs> um, that majored in that. So I said, forget it. I didn't do, I didn't do that. And I went, I went to a computer school, then, um, found out that was a scam because they were teaching us like cobalt and all these outdated, um, outdated programming languages when the internet is there, you know? And so it was all obsolete and a scam. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, I took like what else? Hotel restaurant management. I took a lot of oh my things. God, dude, you were yeah. doctorate for everything. I was trying to take these things, but then when I went there, I said, "Oh, this is for people that want to work for the airlines." And I don't want to. I would be a horrible uh, server for food. I would spill it on people, and they looked at it very superficial. They said, "Oh, you're tall. You could be. You could work for a, a, as a flight attendant." I said, "I don't. I don't want to deal with." people and all of that stuff. So say, so forget it. I dropped out of that. And until I found out about a, a business school in Mahati um, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of, it, it was taught in an American style, you know, whatever that means, but mm-hmm. it was more of like, you know, just business skills and things like that. So um, I did finish in um, uh, um, business management, but a few years ago, um, cause my uh, my transcript or diploma got lost in a flood at my relative's house. <laughs> That's normal. So then, 
Yeah. So then I, I went to go to the Department of Education website or whatever. I try to say, all right, where can I get my copy? Because they have to apply for a job in the U.S. just for proof. Hmm. But then I found out, I Googled, I said, oh, the school closed down because it was, it was, didn't meet the standards. <laughs> yeah, the owners took all the money and bounds. Yeah, exactly. I think they relocated to another country or something. So, you know, you hear about that. That's funny. And then I, I love this story that you went to a bookstore and then you found something there that pretty much changed your life, I think. Yeah, so um, we're we're talking about the Philippine scripts, and so the first time I saw it was in an encyclopedia here at my my grandparents' house, um, and that was you know before the internet. I was young, went to the letter P, and then I found the the Katipunan. Katipunan, you know, are, are the freedom fighters that helped um, that rebelled against Spain, and they had a flag with what what at the time I thought was a capital I. Hmm. Um, then I was at a festival and they had these, uh, these flags, these old revolutionary flags. And I tried to show off and tell the, tell the guy that, oh, that's letter I for independence. And he <laughs> said, no, it's not. That's the letter K, the Ka, that's our old writing system. And so I got interested in it because at the time I was uh, doing graffiti and, you know, writing and doing arts and, and you know, I was, I was listening to, um, I was listening to a lot of uh, '90s hip hop, and at mm. that time, they they were talking about uh, you know like Malcolm X, Marcus Garvey, talking about the the racism, systematic racism, things that you know are still happening today. You know, they mm. were rapping about that, and so I learned about that. But I took that and thought about like, all right, what about us in the Philippines? Because we have this colonial past. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I went to the Philippines, finally, after I moved there, I went to National Bookstore, which is the the biggest chain. And you know, I found a chart of the writing system. And I was able to finally have a complete, uh, you know, I guess, set of it. But there was little context or, or history around it. And that's mm-hmm. where I started to dig in and do more research around it. And that just kind of um, um, opened the doors for more knowledge and uh, building relationships and, um, you know, even, even from a, a business and community building perspective. Mm-hmm. And then I also read that a Canadian white dude taught you more about it. Yes. So when, when people ask me like, Oh, how did you find out about um, uh, Philippine scripts? Like, did you have to go to the mountains in Sagada and, and wrestle, wrestle a carabao in the mud and drink the blood and eat a balot? And mm-hmm. said, no, I learned from a white guy from Canada. <laughs> and so, cause sometimes we add like, um, uh, because we're so unfamiliar with our pre-colonial culture, we put this mystique towards it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And then also our relatives say, Oh, that's for the, the Satanist, that's evil, you know, mm. the mountain people, you know, will put this negative stigma to it. And, but I, I told them that, no, I, I learned a lot of it from a white guy in Canada. And I remember um, I found a website, you know, and I emailed him and this guy, his name is Paul Morrow. And at, at first I thought that, oh, okay, he's Filipino because Paul, I thought Moro, like Moro in the, in the Southern Philippines, yeah. and he just spelled it different. But then he would correspond to me in straight Tagalog and all of that stuff. And I would do my best to figure it out mm. until I found out that, you know, he's a white guy living in Calgary and he uh, plays in a Filipino rock band, writes for a Philippine um, newspaper and is just really into the culture and community up there. So I learned you know, a lot of the, the history and, you know, some of the more practical or, or modern um, issues around it. And I just expanded um, from there. So, I mean, and, and when I tell people that, you know, it, it's funny because it, it's ironic, but then it's also sad in a way too, like where like, because we don't know our own culture, we have to learn it from someone else. Mm. But this person was, you know, nice enough to, you know, kind of uh, help guide me at that time. Um, but I don't know if like right now, like there's, over the past, I don't know, year, you know, there's issues like there's this uh, Instagram account. Um, if you follow like the Aswang project, yes, and you know they, you know, they talk about um, mythical, you know, creatures of the Philippines and things. And 
for some reason, I don't know, maybe me and, you know, we knew he was, uh, again, a white guy in Canada. It's not the same guy, but it's like, yeah, because he published a, a a documentary on the subject. And if you do a little, if you do a little research, you'll know who he is. And he's not hiding. Mm-hmm. But then a lot of Filipinos got mad. Oh, he's trying to trick us. He's trying to sell our culture back to us. And it's like, you know, well, we have the opportunity to do it, especially now with our tools. Mm-hmm. But if you're not going to do it, then why get mad at, you know, these other folks that are doing it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I heard about him and I did check him out. And he admits it. Like, he's he's not making yeah. money. It's just He just wants yeah. to educate people. Yeah. He's never like, yeah. It, it, like, if you follow the work, it's he's been transparent about it. If you follow or buy books from him and things like that. But, you know, I think that we're so insecure uh, with our culture mm-hmm. that we're quick to attack anyone that goes into our culture, puts their toes in the Filipino swimming pool. Mm-hmm. But we all have the ability to do what this person is doing. Mm-hmm. So then rather than complain, then build your own thing and try to put them out of, you know, out of business or, you know, make something better. But yeah. it's much easier just to complain. Yeah, we we have this weird mentality of like, we're so private, we're so nationalistic but we don't do nothing about it. Yeah, the blind nationalism, you know, yes. becomes blind fanaticism where yeah, I mean, I think that and and that's now where you know, I I'm a lot more optimistic about like let's just say the entertainment industry. Mm. Like we're seeing Trese, the the Bosco brothers, you know, the the cleaning lady, which is a great show on FX mm. um that has a lot of Filipino presence. Uh, Ruby Abara, you know, all, all of these you know, Raya, all of these things that are making it in pop culture. And we're seeing a lot more Filipino-American independent producers. And um, I think that, you know, it's hard to do. And that's why all those people that are doing it, they're already in their 40s or 50s because Mm. it took a long time for, for, for them to do it. But this next generation, you know, that are in their 20s and teens and their creators, you know, like Bretman Rock and those guys, you know, they're, they have a lot more opportunity to build based on, you know, what the previous generation did. Yeah, from the shoulders of the giants. Yes. So you started by buying. Some people will say, like, what's the need of learning by buying? Yeah. Um, yeah, so the, the, there's, there's a common, uh, that's a common question. And it's very valid, too. Um, and ultimately, it comes down to value. Um, and so when, when I talk about it, I always position it as, um, Philippine scripts for a cultural identity for economic empowerment leading to preservation. Hmm. So, because if you don't value something, then you can't preserve it. So a lot of people, they don't value it. Um, and a lot of it is, um, folks from the Philippines, right? Because they'll say like, oh, what's this? This is useless, it's not practical. You know, what, what am I going to do? How is this going to earn me money? You know, it, exactly. it always comes down to practicality mm-hmm. and money with everything. Right. Um, but I like to question is, well, in the Philippines, we do a lot of things that are impractical. You know, the traffic problem is impractical, right? <laughs> you know, that is um, the, the MRT. That is impractical. It's impractical to have, you know, Manila as the center of the economics and things like that so mm-hmm. you know we do a lot of things that are impractical but i th- i think that um for for scripts you can you can look at like hangul for example and the philippines is obsessed with koreans mm. so and if you look at hangul like where I, where i stay in katipunan which is um in Quezon city if you go along katipunan or malate or these other cities you're going to see more hangul than Roman alphabet. And so the value there is that, oh, you could recognize that it is Korean. And people may not be able to read the Hangul, but they can tell the difference between Korean Hangul versus the Japanese um, script or the Chinese script or Thai script or Arabic. Mm -hmm. So you already identify this writing system with a culture. So with the work that uh, myself and my colleagues have been doing and propagating the script is now when people see Filipinos see this 
by buy-in or Philippine scripts, they are, oh, okay, that's Filipino. Mm-hmm. Like 10 years ago, people, Filipinos would see that. They'll think, oh, is that Thai? Is it Arabic? Mm-hmm. You know, but now even non-Filipinos are starting to recognize our script. Mm-hmm. And so from a business perspective, like a cultural identifier, because we don't really have a, a cultural, a brand. If you're talking about like marketing, like what is the brand, the visual brand of the Philippines? If you think of like the ties, you know, you would think about, you know, the, the temples, right? Mm. The dancers. Yeah. The dancers. Mm -hmm. If you go to, uh, you know, Japanese restaurant, you think minimalism and whatever, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, every culture has their own unique, but ours, if you go to a Filipino restaurant, I mean, what is that identifier? You know, it's confusing. You have the, the last supper, you have the cat that goes (laughs) like that. And then you have those spoon and fork and he's like where are we it's so confusing Mm. you know the only thing close enough is maybe like the philippine sun is Mm. that or maybe jollibee you know our (laughs) cultural icons even our colors are red white and blue so that's confusing Mm -hmm. so the only thing that we have is our as our writing system and it's not just specific for filipinos but every culture uses their own writing system as a unique cultural identifier Mm -hmm. so that is a practical use for it that's beautiful. Well said. Is there like a history that shows where the by buying started? Also, I know it's based from uh, from the Indian writing, right? Why is it yeah, Indian so, writing instead of Chinese? Yeah. So the the, his, the historical pattern um, follows the migration of the Philippines. So, for example, um, the uh, the Visayas, the Visayas. You know, it means is is actually an Indi- Indian word, Indic term. Uh, mm. Vijay, Vijay, Vijay means uh, greatness, like a victory. Uh, short for Sri Vijaya. Sri Vijaya is a kingdom that um, that traveled from the southern India, then to Sumatra, Indonesia, then to the central Philippines. Is what we know as the Visayas. Mm. So, if you follow the the exploration and trade patterns, you know that's when not just the writing, but also the food, you know, we have like karikari, we have putu, putu is also Indian. Mm. Um, and then we also have like, you know, our, our religion, you know, uh, pre um, Christian religion identity. And so all of those things um, are rooted in Indian influence, but we don't teach that in the, in the Philippines. We say, Oh, 1521 Magellan came, then now we're Catholic, you know, and then, oh, and then the Muslims came there. We don't really talk about them. They're in the South. You know, it's just very superficial, um, uh, you know, uh, historical um, teachings. And then then it, we internalize that. So we don't really talk about our our neighbors that pretty much are our relatives in Indonesia the, mm. from a linguistic and cultural perspective. So the writing system came through that um you know you could even you can even say that um the philippine martial arts you know came through that as well um so food language you know writing mm-hmm. i love that you said that we don't talk about the muslim brothers because yeah, even in don't. the flag they're not included exactly like the race yes Exactly. I mean, they were the first ones to rebel, and there were there were there were there were there were a lot of rebellions, you know, before the the eight provinces. So, it's it's this it, yeah, it's this very Manila Tagalog Christian centric identity. Yeah, it's so sad. I read that you work on a group trying to pass a bill that requires Filipino students in the Philippines to learn by buying. Any update on that? Yes, actually, good timing. So, um, the a new version of the bill called um, the uh, Traditional uh, Philippine Scripts Act passed the House just mm. uh, last week. So, I mean, it's the second time it passed through the House, but it never... So, a little bit of background. In 2011, there I was working with a nonprofit group in the Philippines called Baybayin Buhayin. And this group is led by a, a uh, pastor, Pastor Jay Enage. Um, he's a very charismatic speaker, and he's quite the opposite of me. He's very religious, and 
you know, he's like the like the the El Shaddai of um of of Bye Bayan, you know. Mm. Um but you know, even though we had like our differences in in the way you know we we think and do things, but we had a common goal. So mm. you know we became we became friends and even though we're opposite and you know we worked together. And so for uh 10 years we've been working with um, uh, local governments, nonprofits, um, students, and artists, um, trying to refine this, um, and you know, we listened to you know the other groups like the Mangyan Heritage Group, the 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 Kulitan practitioners in Pampanga, um, because there are other ethno-linguistic groups that you know don't want it to be named say Baybayan because of the perception that it is a Tagalog Manila-centric mm. uh, movement. So. Um, it took a long time to kind of refine that and getting, you know, different sponsors. And as people leave Congress and, you know, at one time we had Lauren Lagarda uh, as um, sponsoring senator, but then COVID happened um, mm. right after it was passed. So it wasn't brought, it was not brought to the president's uh, desk for signature. Um, so, I mean, I mean, to, uh, to Senate, I mean, because we, our politics mirror, you know, American. So mm-hmm. Congress, Senate, and then President. So we didn't get it to get it to go through the Senate. But this year it passed Congress. So now the question is, all right, now we have to go through the Senate. But now being in an election year, all the focus is on elections. So we're <laughs> saying, oh no, are we gonna have to wait for the next session of Congress and do this over again? Because mm-hmm. everyone switches, you know, mm-hmm. much more, you know, than than here in the US. So um, but yeah, so that's kind of the 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 goal is to um, um, have protections for um, writing systems. And um, the one 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 of the things though is that um, the I guess the areas of of debate is um, you know what is that value um, again? Because if if we if we get it as a like a national script to protect it, you know that means the government has to put money into it, mm. but. Um, I haven't seen any end-to-end studies of like, all right, if we enable this, you know, what is the socioeconomic benefit? And that's where you'd have to get like a cultural cultural anthropologist and economist that can put those things together. And is there a detrimental cost? Um, So I think that's where the work has to be done. But I think um, eventually we'll get there um, with the the right... um, uh, leadership within the the politics because if not the community is already kind of managing it on on our own over the past few years uh, so um i think that uh you know there's there's potential but again it could be just like um like uh arnis like mm-hmm. arnis in 1989 i believe was named the national sport and you would think oh okay so that means that every single high schooler or elementary to high school, then they, you don't want to mess with them. They know Eskrima Arnis, but that never happened. It was just like, we'll name it the national sport. We'll take some pictures. We'll have some demonstrations, but that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, then we have our Manongs that are the teachers, you know, passing away, being poor and not being recognized in the sport. You know, mm-hmm. meanwhile, we have more, more Filipinos that know Taekwondo and, and Kung Fu in the Philippines and, you know, mm-hmm. my niece, Eskrima Kali. We touched about this earlier, but I want to talk to you more about it. Like, cultural appropriation. What's your take on this? Yes, um, it's it's a complicated gray area. Um, I think the, the discourse where people kind of mainly talk about it, it's very high level. It's very black and white, but mm. we know that there are many gray areas. Mm. And, you know, I, I think that... Um, and a lot of it is coming from a, uh, a, a privileged American perspective. Mm. Um, and for me, as as a cultural uh, as a cultural practitioner, is that if you're if you're going through like uh, like any sort of discovery, then you are going to go through cultural appropriation yourself. Um, because you know, like for example, like I'm looking for for Filipino, for Filipino stuff. Right. And it'd be, okay, well, let me look at this thing from this uh, group in, in the Visayas, but then, you know, your Ilocano or, 
your Tagalog. So then, but then you're curious, you're looking at things. And then as you get older, get more knowledge. Oh, okay. Well then let me look at things that are more related to my family, to my group. Like, Mm -hmm. let me go to, you know, look at Bicolano stuff, you know, rather than, you know, Visayan. Um, So I think it is a, a growth of, um, a natural growth where you have to go through it and acknowledge it. But people will say, Oh, you're a cultural appropriator. I said, yeah, but this girl is only 12 years old. She's just exploring her identity. You know, you can't go from like, like not knowing anything to becoming an expert right away. Mm. So there's those gray areas where, yes, you're going to explore. Maybe you'll make some mistakes. And, you know, I, I think that's the difference, you know, the difference between someone exploring their identity versus, like like a like a white person opening up a lumpia shop mm. in Beverly Hills calling it you know lumpia dudes right <laughs> and not mentioning you know filipinos that's different right mm. than somebody that's exploring their own culture yeah i i see that so let's say you go to a party and then there's a white dude wearing a barong mm-hmm. do you think that's cultural appropriation uh it depends on the context you know, because one, he could be Filipino. I've seen lots of Filipinos that look like white guys and like, oh, shit, you're speaking Tagalog. Is, <laughs> oh, they'll say, oh, yeah, I'm from uh, Olongapo. It's like, OK, sorry. <laughs> so that's number one. I've learned I've learned that. Number two, um, you know, what is what is that? What is what is their context? Mm. I think that, you know, I, I would like to know, um, you know, what you know, what is their role, I guess, you know, within maybe they're adopted or married in, in to a, a family. Maybe they lived there for 10 years and things like that, you know, mm-hmm. or maybe they just think it's cool. And, you know, and I would be okay with that depending on the person, you know, if they're, yeah. you know, douchebag or whatever, but it depends. <laughs> I'm just not going to see them and then say, Oh, the cultural appropriator right away. Yeah. I love that. I, I've done that before, but then, you know, and on the other side, you know, they may think that, all right. I mean, am I cultural appropriating? Because I'm wearing, you know, whatever. So yeah, and you could also people would say also that you know, like the pure Filipino, like oh, he's not pure Filipino because he grew up in the states. Yes, exactly. So you know that happens a lot. Like um, you know, oh, you're just playing costume because you have a, uh, you know, you're wearing a, a an ethnic scarf or something like that. So you know that that's also then traumatic too for a lot of uh, people in the diaspora, mm-hmm. um, and. So I, I have I have some you know some sympathy and compassion for those, um, and I've learned as I gotten older to not react right away, mm. to you know to maybe observe and maybe ask questions. Yeah, I completely agree. I know you're connected with some people that does the batok. Did yes. how did they learn it? Yeah, so um, I work with uh, Lane Wilkin. Uh, Lane Wilkin is a uh, Phil Am uh, based in Las Vegas. Um, and so one of the things I've learned from, from Lane um, is his story. One, if you think of his name, you think, oh, that's a white guy. He's cultural appropriating, you know, but this guy is, you know, way more Filipino than Filipinos. I mean, he speaks fluent Ilocano and, mm. you know, has done tons of research and has, you know, written books about it. And so I learned through him and, you know, his story and, and why I like, what I like about his story is people will say like, um, Oh, if you don't learn from Wang Od, then everything else is fake. Mm. You're appropriating, but there are more paths to learn things. So basically traditional tattooing, um, is almost gone from the Philippines. Um, the out, if we take a zoom out from the Philippines, the other cultures that are so practicing it are the Indonesians and the Polynesians, who are, are our cousins. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Lane learned actually through a Hawaiian, um, the traditional, not this, not the patterns, but the actual hand tapping, the tools, because we have the same tools as they have, but ours have been lost. But we have some books that have you know documentation and things like that. So Basically, it was a like in the old days where, you know, we meet another culture, we work together, we figure things out, we influence each other mm. through a natural um, experience, right? Not mm-hmm. transactional through money or, 
you know, like a, from a Western context. So it was because of um, uh, his name's um, uh, the Suluwape family in Samoa. So the Suluwape family in Samoa, they are like known throughout the world as the the um, the ones that brought hand tapping you know, to the mainstream. And it was the dream of, uh, of uh, Suluape, Peter Suluape, that the um, hand tapping get revitalized throughout the Pacifics, including Philippines, including uh, Taiwan, Indonesia. And that is a 30-year dream. And then, you know, going out to Hawaii and then us working there. And so that's kind of like the the context and, and my my legacy where, where I learned, you know, through Lane, through the Hawaiians, through the Samoans. And so now we kind of get back that culture by connecting the dots and trying to figure things out because there's not that much documentation um, that we have in the Philippines. Yeah, we didn't have papers. <laughs> yeah. We didn't keep it. I also like that, read that you coined the term pre-Philippines. And also I heard one of your... Uh, I think you were a guest or something, and you don't say Filipino, you say Tagalog. Yeah, I like so around pre the the term pre Philippine pre Filipino. When um, I used to do talks um, in uh, in public, I would say, uh, um, "Oh, this is a pre Hispanic, pre colonial," and then you know they they wouldn't really ignore, they wouldn't really acknowledge or or get into the conversation. Mm -hmm. For me, a a gauge of a good conversation or a good talk is when people ask questions out of you know curiosity or wanting to know more. And then so I changed it and I said pre-Philippine, pre-Filipino. And then people go, huh? What's that? What if if we weren't we're always Filipino? It was always the Philippines. Or they'll say, Well, if we weren't the Philippines, then what were we? You know, they try to do a like a gotcha. Mm. You know, like, oh, it's Mr. Know-it-all or, you know, Ikauna, you know, <laughs> um, what were we then? And then I say, I don't know. Let's talk about it. And mm. to me, that is where the value comes in. It's like, who were we before April 14, 1521, right? Mm -hmm. Before that flag was, or that cross was put down. And to me, that's the, the, the richness and the value of those conversations. So that term pre-Philippine, pre-Filipino, which a lot of people now use, which is great because then it just raises eyebrows and expands that uh, conversation. Yeah. By the way, I need to credit you because now I try to catch myself saying not Filipino. I actually say Tagalog. Yeah. And, and that too is because um, it, to me, I, I like to, because, you know, when I think that's sort of like the, maybe like the, the original sin of, 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 like the Filipinoness or the Manila centricness, uh, where a lot of people are bitter, and um, so I like to acknowledge, like, okay, yeah, Tagalog or your Bicolano, Ilocano, because now it 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 just opens up the conversation more, mm -hmm. um, and it, it makes people like ask, like, oh, oh, my dad was from you know. Sorsogon or from Bohol, and they did this and spoke that, and it just just really opens up it more rather than just say, oh, Filipino. So, okay, Lumpia, Jollibee, Manny Pacquiao, Adobo. <laughs> For sure. I want to ask you on your opinion on this. Is this from colonial mentality how we are so divided? Like, you know how the Tagalog hated the Ilocanos, the Ilocanos hated the Visayans. Is that based from uh, colonial mentality? I think that it was um, uh, help, it helped foster that. And and I think now everyone hates the Tagalogs. <laughs> I don't blame them. Yeah, and rightfully so. You know, <laughs> you know, and it's not just because of the you know the more superficial like mannerisms or whatever. It's it's real because Manila is the socioeconomic uh, centralism of the Philippines. Right, mm. you have to go to Manila. Then Manila gets crowded. There's crime or whatever. You know, and then people associate that with Tagalog and Filipino. Um, but if we, you know, decentralize and have, you know, like a things in say the North for the Ilocanos, like, you know, a, 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 a Manila for, you know, 
for the the north, you know, the south, central, and you know, we have Cebu and things like that. I mean, there are more Visayan speakers than there are of Tagalog. So why aren't the Visayans represented more in the, the culture and the politics and the discourse? Yeah, I read about this. I, I forgot uh, who wrote it. Some Philippine uh, history that it was the Americans who decided like, oh, by the way, Tagalog is going to be the language now. Everybody yeah. can go fuck themselves. Yes, exactly. So then I think that then, you know, just created more issues. Um, but now we just say that, okay, well, we don't know why that happened. And it just becomes something that's ingrained in the culture negatively. Mm-hmm. What's your opinion on the proposal to change the name of the Philippines to Maharlika? Um, so when the internet first came out, I created a website and I registered, registered the domain nophilippines.com. <laughs> and it was a petition to change the, and this was before I even did a lot of the, the script cultural work. I just thought about it from, you know, because I was reading about, um, you know, these other countries in Africa that ditched their colonial name. And I thought, mm-hmm. you know what? The Philippines should do that. And I remember I got so much hatred for it and, oh my you know, God. on the website. But changing it to Maharlika, I don't know about the term Maharlika. I think that people, they get stuck on, like, I always tell, like, we should change the name of the Philippines. And then they'll say, oh, then what name should we do it? Huh? What name? Mm. Mm. I I don't know. Let's, let's decide that we need to change the name first. Mm. If we agree, we need to change the name first, then we can go to the second step. But people already go to the second step, like Maharlika, Luz, Luz, what's that? Luzon, Luz Luz Viminda. Luz Viminda. And then Bayan and all these other things, which is fine. But I'm thinking that, if we can get a national consciousness to change the name first, then we'll figure out a creative way on what the name is. But yeah. specifically Maharlika, I mean, I don't know. Um, it sounds cool and you see a lot of like Maharlika, everything, but I, uh, I, I've i read a lot about the the term. You know, people argue that, oh, it's an Indian term. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some studies that say that Maharlika is... Um, ma uh, from the word the term mahalingam and lingam meaning phallus like big penis <laughs> so I, I mean I didn't know that <laughs> I don't know if we want that as our name the big penis people why not yeah, I mean, <laughs> or the, yeah, the, all those guys are dicks you know oh <laughs> uh, yeah yeah but then there's also the other side like where uh, it's the name Maharlika is tied to Marcos that's always just gonna say that because I believe it was him who first suggested the idea. Yeah, and that's based on his guerrilla unit where he, you know, supposedly f- fought the Japanese, but then Killed we everyone. found out that was ma- but that was made up. So <laughs> I was gonna ask you this, but for for the side, I might edit this out. Yeah, since yeah. your family left the Philippines because of the martial law, now you know Bong Bong is a possibility to win. Yeah. What's your opinion on that? Um, I think that people have short-term memory. And I think that people that are pro Marcos are looking at it very superficially. Like, mm. oh, I remember Marcos in 1980, he gave my family rice. Mm. Or they'll say, um, oh, back then, the exchange rate uh, to US dollars was only 10 to whatever. Mm-hmm. It's very superficial. And, um, and, and I think that is... You know, because it is a lack of like, um, uh, I guess, uh, uh, historical um, documentation, and 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 also because, you know, the people that uh, want that that glory days are the people that look at things like at a very black and white monetary manner. Like, oh, okay, if the, he's president, then I'll have more money, right? Mm. Because people want quick, they want quick uh, fixes to their problems, and yeah. we know that, you know, the 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 degradation of the Philippines didn't happen overnight. You know, there's a long path, and it's going to take just as long to fix it. Exactly. It's funny because I was talking to uh, some family members about it that older that they actually went through martial law, and they're like, "Oh, I'm going to b- vote for Bongbong." I'm like, "What is wrong with you?" 
Why would you bring them back? I'm like, no, no, it was safe back then. Yeah, they were martial law. What are you talking about? Like yeah. people were vanishing in the middle of the mm-hmm. night. Yeah. Yeah. And it becomes very, it, it turns back to them, right? Rather than, than the country as a whole. Mm, you know, so exactly. th- that's one thing that I notice. It's always like, yeah, I, I, I don't want to, I guess I'll say, I, I don't want to say critical thinking because critical thinking is such a privilege too. And so, you know, it, it's difficult and it's difficult to, to argue and debate with people that look at things in a very binary black and white way. I agree. I agree. Lupa documentary. Let's talk about that. Yes. I've always, uh, talk to my family about some land that we owned in the Philippines. And I think most diaspora um, uh, people can relate to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and most, you know, a lot of us, you know, as we get older, we're going to have to deal with these things. And also the, the film is about like the our connection with land in the Philippines mm. and all the drama that accompanies it. Um, so this is a short film, uh, 20 minutes about that. Uh, capturing the stories Mm. it just spoke to me because like my families bought land but it's not really on their name it's on the person that passed away a long time ago yes yeah so then it's like all right how do you now you have to get the affidavit how do you get the title you have to go to some province and you know it's a hassle and doing all of that while you're in the u.s exactly and a good example one of my family members she bought a land and she cannot transfer the land because she has to come back home. Yeah. And you know how Philippines are with the red tape. Mm-hmm. It takes hundreds of years. Yeah. So it's not like you can go there for two weeks and still go to Boracay. You, know, <laughs> you have to go there for like at least six months mm. to do it. You Probably know, and, a year. A lot of, you know, yeah, a year, you know, and a lot of people don't have that privilege to do no, that. No, for sure. Let's close out with this topic. NFT, educate me with this. Yeah, so NFT um, stands for non fungible token, and basically what it is, it's a it's a contract on the on the blockchain. So NFTs there are three components. Um, you know the there's the the actual um, asset. The asset could be um, artwork, it can be a digital file, it could be music. Then there's blockchain technology, which is Kind of like um, if you think uh, Napster in the mm-hmm. 90s, mm-hmm. where the files are distributed in different computers around the world. Mm-hmm. And then the third component is cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, Ethereum, things like that. So all of those are components that make up an NFT. Um, there's a lot of uh, controversy around NFTs now. And I think that you know because a lot of people are reading into the headlines of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I think that, um, you know, I, I'm old enough to remember when the internet first came out. Uh, one of my first jobs, actually, in when I lived in the Philippines, I was a project manager for a web development company. And my job was to go out and uh, talk to businesses and educate them about the internet. Sounds, mm. <laughs> sounds silly now, right? <laughs> but I remember going to the Makati Business Club in front of all these CEOs of all these companies and telling them that if they don't have a website in a few years, their business won't exist. Mm. And they laughed at me. Who's this kid? Who's this kid? Telling Go back me, to America. Yeah. Who's this kid? I'm boy. You know, he doesn't know what he's talking about, you know, and they, they, yeah, they laughed, they giggled. And, you know, now we know that, yeah, the internet is, is, is very powerful and much needed in a lot of ways. Mm. And it also has a lot of, um, you know, negative aspects too. Like mm. when the internet first came out, there are so much scams. People mm. are saying, oh, that's just a fad. The Amazon, what's that? Uh, I, I just want to, I just want to go to a store and buy books. Mm. Netflix came out and then like, oh, who's going to watch it streaming? No one's going to do that. You know, mm-hmm. it's too expensive. Um, and then um, PayPal, people were scared to use PayPal. They're going to get scammed. You know, Venmo, it happens with any new technology. Then when Twitter came out, people were like, oh, that's a waste of time. Who cares what you eat or you post on Facebook? Who cares about <laughs> that stuff, right? Yeah. And then now we're hearing the exact same thing. They're saying, oh, NFT is a scam. Mm-hmm. Who's going to do that? Who cares about digital? I need the physical piece. Why do I need digital Air Jordans? Mm-hmm. You know, so 
it's the same exact argument as the previous generations. Um, you know, then there are arguments about the the environmental impact, which you know any new technology isn't going to be optimized for its energy use. You know, um, there there are some you know it could be very technical. I can get, but at the I think people need to think about it within context. Like, um, for example, YouTube the every year uses as more uh, energy than NFTs. So does Netflix. But are people going to say, oh, you shouldn't use YouTube or Netflix? Um, so it's basically the the technology, right? And early, I remember e-commerce days, stuff didn't work. <laughs> you know, a shopping cart when I was, you know, all that stuff didn't work. Remember social media didn't work re- really good. Mm-hmm. So it's still early. It's just now that we have social media for everyone to be loud about it. Mm. Um, but the technology, I think, will uh, change lives. Um, it is being overestimated, I think, in the near term, but underestimated in the long term. And specifically for the Philippines, it's already, you know, the Philippines is the number one owners of NFTs in the world. Really? Yes. So wow. if you look at that, so there's a lot of projects. I'm really involved with the NFT community in the Philippines. Um, and as you know, the government wants to regulate and tax and mm. all of that stuff. So we're working through those things. And those were the things that I worked on when I worked in the in the the e-commerce, you know, back in the day. So it's the exact same thing. Mm. What makes it valuable, a certain NFT? Um, just like so what's interesting with NFTs is that it's similar to artwork and stocks. So one could be the perception, right? If some, if a famous artist makes an NFT, you know, obviously that's going to make it valuable. Or it could be the rarity, like there's only one of these, mm. right? Um, it's a combination of like uh, if you're like sneaker culture or or basketball cards, things like that. Um, so it's a combination of all those things um, that happen then through the uh, through the um, uh, you know during the COVID times where everyone was either bored or they wanted to look for a new hobby or a new side hustle. And mm. that's whether stocks, buying uh, LeBron James rookie cards or whatever. And then now NFTs is a combination of all those things put together. I love the jeepney that you made. Oh, yes. That was a, see, and that was a collaboration with an artist in the Philippines. And, mm. you know, and there's a, as you know, there's a lot of good artists in the Philippines, awesome artists. And this is giving them opportunity to finally make money from their artwork because I I would want to buy artwork from the Philippines, but can they ship it out? Right, mm. it's hard to ship stuff, and it's expensive. It takes a long time, might get lost. So now with digital art, I mean, it it just opens so many doors. Awesome, listen, man, you've been amazing. I really do appreciate you coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Also, and then yeah, if anyone uh, wants to reach out and talk, um, uh, follow me on social media. Of course. Have a good evening, sir. All right. Thanks, Aaron. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Again, Christian, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Aaron Deliosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.